Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode. The final episode. We finally got here no. of Line of Succession. This is the last episode of Line of Succession. You may see some other things pop up on this podcast if the Mangum Talks Podcast Network is trying to show you some of the other things that we're doing or reviewing. But as far as the content for the television show Succession, we finally got there, Spencer. This is it. We're doing it. This is the wrap-up episode. How you feeling? Kind of sad, really. I, I, I was thinking as we were preparing for this episode, I went back through all the prior episodes, read through all the transcripts, got myself refreshed oh my gosh, the show. Of course you did. It's like... This was a really good show. This show was remarkably well written. I'm going to miss having this to look forward to each week of just like, well, here's here's concentrated the best character work and character writing on television right now. And just being able to expect that week to week. Yeah. So that's what took us six, seven months to do the wrap up episode of Spencer was rereading every single script. <laughs> Um, no, it's I interesting. Skim I, quick. It's my I job. Am sh- I am sure that our fans have like, or the people who are fans of this podcast, like have, have thought like they, they just bailed on that promise. They're not going to do the wrap up episode, but we are, we are here to talk about succession. We're going to break this podcast into sort of three different segments. The first is going to be a discussion about our overall summary thoughts of the show, what it meant at the time that it was rolling, when it was going and what we believe it will mean in 10, 15, 20 years, what the legacy of the show will be. Then we'll go to winners and losers of the overall show, um, who, who, which character won, um, which character lost. And I think we could probably work in there some commentary about which actor was our favorite and which actor mm-hmm. was our, our least favorite. And then we will do a snake draft. <clears throat> We're going to do a snake draft between Spencer and I, a favorite episode. So it'll go, um, I'll give you the first overall pick, Spencer. Spencer gets first overall pick. I'll go second, third, fourth. And then we will go through our – let's do top four apiece. So we'll okay. do four apiece so we have eight draft picks of our favorite episodes. Um, that's what we're going to do as far as wrapping up Succession. If you're wondering what's next for the Mega Trucks Podcast Network, we are on a bit of a break now. Had a very busy 2023. We've covered a lot of shows. The last one we did was Silo over on the podcast Uh, feed breaking down the silo before we did severance over on lumen industries radio a severance review podcast so we've reviewed those two shows we also did a bunch of other shows during 2020 lasso a lot of star wars did we have three four shows at the same time at one point i had multiple instances this year of doing three shows at once and like i was like you know, we don't charge for this. We don't even have a Patreon. We don't even have a place for people to give us money if they want to. I was starting to question my life decisions. But this little break was fantastic for us. We are going to be back week by week on a podcast covering the adaptation over on FX of the book Shogun. Woo! A lot of personal history on the book Shogun between Spencer and I that we will talk about at length on that podcast feed. We have both read the book. Uh, I've read like three-fourths of it, but I, I will finish it by the time we get there. So we'll both have read the book, and we will both be covering that show. That starts February 24th. We'll be following it week by week live. And the you don't need to worry about what the name of the podcast feed. You don't need to worry about going to find it or going to magnumtalks.com or anything because we will cross-list the first episode of that coverage on this podcast feed. So it'll be right there for you. Just say stay subscribed to this podcast feed. Spencer, anything you want to talk about in the way of Magnum Talks podcast, any of our housekeeping, anything like that? Uh, we're starting pottering around again. We're looking to finish. Uh, the, uh, the, we're, we're looking to continue to proceed with the series after a long hiatus, and we're quite enjoying getting back in the rhythm of a chapter-by-chapter recap. I've long maintained that uh, Pottering Around is the best podcast. It's the tightest podcast that we do. It's the most professional podcast that we do. I like it a lot. Uh, that's, Spencer does that with BJ and, and Sarah, who... Um, 
I am married to. I'm lucky mm-hmm. to be married to, which is nice. So let's jump into this pod, this podcast where we're going to review the television show Succession, and we're going to talk about what the show, what the like, what the show meant when it was running, and what the legacy of the show is. Can, can I start with a meta example of how, what the show meant to me? Yes. Uh, this was, I, if I remember correctly, this was one of the first shows we did other than Game of Thrones. Like, we, we had a Game of Thrones talk before we were even doing these podcasts that we just expected week by week. And then you recommended Succession, a show I'd seen ads for on HBO, because HBO is always pushing their flagship kind of programming, but I hadn't watched. I think I was even like a season behind. And you pushed it hard. And I eventually caved. I watched it. And Succession became the gold standard of, oh, I should just trust Lee. Lee's going to have a good suggestion. He's going to have a good pull. I can count on him to pick what our next show is. And that's going to be enjoyed. Well, appreciate that. Um, I hope I hope we've continued in that vein. But I, I will say that I got lucky enough to watch the pilot the week it aired. I mean, and I, I never even heard of Jesse Armstrong before the creator of the show. I'd never watched any of his prior material. And I watched that and I saw the baseball scene. Of, <laughs> I will give you a million dollars a home run. And then he lets the kid get to third base before he's out. And then he cuts the check up in front of him. Roman does this. And mm-hmm. I realized, I don't know where this is going to go, but I'm going to watch every single episode. <laughs> and I'm glad, I'm glad, you know, and of course I didn't know exactly where it would go. Right. Or quite how good it would get because I feel like it continued to get better season over season, except for a, maybe a little bit of a dip there in season three when they had some constraints around COVID. But mm-hmm. it, it it certainly built built on itself, right? It, I would say that it, at the time this thing aired, it was the epitome of like twenty like twenty seventeen to twenty twenty three prestige TV that mm-hmm. really represents the the culture divide in America because it is a show that I could go back to my hometown, which is a little bit more rural um, and not a, I could not find a person watching it, but I could go to, if I was in like DC for work or something, every single person at every single coffee shop I could turn to and say, you watch succession and they're watching it. It, it was, it was emblematic of the fact that we have these sort of like, you know, coastal elites or flyover States or whatever term you want to put to it that there is a, a different segment of people watching different types of shows. The people who are watching Succession and talking about it week by week are not the people watching NCIS on CBS and vice versa. And I think this show was just like the gold standard of that. I 100% agree. And I think as a result of who it most resonated with, it punched outside of what its viewing numbers would suggest. Of where its viewing numbers, I was pulling up the HBO numbers, they never exceeded like, you know, a million in terms of like first watching of the episode. Even for season finales, or best whatever else. Now, repeated watchings, recordings, whatever else, sure. But the official, like, initial number they publish, it never even got to, like, you know, first season or second season Game of Thrones kind of numbers. But it was the media darling. Every critic put it on their top ten lists all the time. Every, I was, I was, I would, I would watch, you know, pieces about it on just, you know, major news channels were even like just doing little bits about what this show means in terms of the culture what this show is saying unpacking and analyzing it critical reviewers courses in college are even talking about the show right yeah, now yeah i've heard that it is resonating with a group that has a media presence and i feel like that as a result of that 
it has a lot more exposure than just its viewership numbers would suggest. I think that's absolutely true. And I think that anytime you've got a show that is aimed at the, I'm going to use the term coastal elites, but I, I just don't know a better term to use. I don't love that term, but you it, know what I'm talking about. It fits into the cultural war to phrase that, it that way. That group, right? Um, whatever that is, typically doesn't have the same raw viewership numbers that the other group does. The the group that, that gravitates to things like Yellowstone or CBS or sure. Paramount. Um because there's still a lot of traditional media consumption in that other group, right? The folks who are um, this show targets are watching it, um, repeat viewings on apps. They're watching it um, illegally, or they're watching it, um, you know, uh, the clips on YouTube, or they're ingesting it via podcast or whatever. There's all this non-traditional ways that they're they're ingesting it. So, like when I would always hear people, and it was always like a great talking point for like. Uh, people who weren't fans of the show or didn't watch it, like, oh, Succession, that I, the, the show that no one watches that I can't stop hearing about. My answer was always, I'm not sure no one watches, no one watches it. I think more people watch it than you think, but mm-hmm. our means of, and I'm not breaking new ground here, but our means of uh, quantifying the, this stuff is antiquated and does not 100%. catch up with the audience that would gravitate toward this thing. I think this was more ubiquitous with certain parts of the country and more and watched by larger numbers than we even know now. What and a question for us. We're part of the target demographic. Sure. We're part of who the show, we're, we're, we're within the expected group that's going to be had the show marketed to them and probably enjoyed. Do you think it deserves all the accolades that is received? Is it has it reached a point of where it's almost just reaching meme level of, oh, that's the greatest show ever kind of category? No. Or, uh-uh. or, or, or does it actually deserve the press it's received? I think it's a great question and a fair question, but I don't, no, I don't think it's overhyped. Because I do think there's still a lot of people who say that they would not watch it for uh, a variety of reasons, right? One, mm-hmm. um, that might, one might be political, one might be cultural, one might be that they feel like the show talks over people's heads, which we even discussed on the podcast of them doing <laughs> we, that. We, we have um, to look up a few things. Yeah, of it being a little bit difficult to follow, um, or just, just generally, maybe it, maybe it doesn't even fit into one of those categories of criticism. Maybe it's just generally um, you know, overrated. A lot You hear mm-hmm. that a lot too. So I think there's enough pushback on it that it's not at that level of like, the wire that got really memed with, have you watched the wire? The wire is so great. Like, I think that the well, wire to me is the gold standard of what you're just talking about. And I think this is like a, maybe a B on that spectrum. And, and, and I think it's a fascinating comparison. Cause I, I was purposely trying to reference the wire, given your, your well-known love of the show, but I feel like the wire legitimately not struggled a bit with finding an audience, but did not resonate with the critics and the media until after the fact, like while it was running, it didn't win much. No. It didn't. It, di- it didn't get much in the way of accolades. It didn't get much in the way of recognition for what it was and what it achieved and how well written it turned out to be. Until in retrospect, when people were looking back at the era, everyone suddenly realized, "Oh shit, this was the prestige show of that era." I don't think Succession has that problem, but I almost wonder to a certain degree whether the fact that The Wire didn't resonate is part of the reason people were paying more attention for shows of that quality of writing in this day and age. Maybe. And, you know, I think the the wire comparison is interesting because, like, I am not sure significant numbers of people of color watched Succession. Like, I don't I didn't <laughs> see that in that media. Right. I didn't hear the Breakfast Club talking about it. I didn't I didn't hear it, um, you know, uh, on um, 
Latin American free radio, which is really mm -hmm. popular. I didn't hear it in those avenues where you would get a sense of like, you know, big swaths of people of color in this country watching the show. And, and this is going to sound like a real criticism of the show. And I, maybe I mean it that way. I'm not sure it was aiming at that. Like it was a no. bunch of white people in, you know, Upper East Side Manhattan who were all billionaires squabbling over more money. Um, and that's really the, the heart of the show. So I can see how racially, culturally, it can exclude some people on the surface. If they, I, I maintain that if they hold tight and watch it, they'd likely like it because it's quality. But I can what? see how just the... The, the the two the elevator pitch can be exclusion, exclusion. Well, and, and I think it has not helped in some way by how the critics have responded to it and addressed it and the continual refrain that oh it's the most Shakespearean show on television we heard that so many times during the reviews and everything else as if that's going to get people to watch it that's going to get like twelve people in well, an English department in Iowa to watch it and I think I I, I think. From what I have seen from other people, two of the main things that keeps people away beyond culture wars and oh, everyone's talking about that's the best show ever. It must be, must not be great. Is a people think that it's too highfalutin. It's like going to the opera. It's going to the theater. Yeah, yeah, that's a good sitting there Watching television. I like that. Or and this one I do. This, this is one of where I, people that I know that have watched it have stopped after the fact for this reason. It's too dark. It's too cynical. It's too unhappy. And. I get that. I think it's a deeply, I don't know if bitter is the correct word show, but it's a show that does not have a very high view of, of humanity and the culture and the world that we operate in. And if that's just not what you want in terms of a way to wrap up your evening, I fully respect that. And that's just not something the show is going to offer much. It has levity. It has great humor. Some of my favorite parts of this are the comedy episodes. But even those are steeped with this kind of feeling of decay, this kind of feeling of, the world we're watching is a reflection back on us, and we should judge it. And that's how I think we can transition to the back half of this question, which is what the legacy of this show will be in 15, 20 years. And I strongly believe that it will be considered a well-acted, well-liked, um, well-acted, well well-written show. And Brian Cox's swan song of a career, right? Like it yes. will be his walk off the stage, drop mic moment. But I think more than any of that, it will be viewed as a representation of what this post-World War II world um, that has started to become like, I've heard terms like post-truth, right? Mm -hmm. um, where for a large group of people, and especially the people in this show, there has been so little real threat to them, their lives, their country's sovereignty, their economic uncertainty, um, their standard of living, that th that the stuff that they fight about in this show is the only thing they can think to fight about. Like it's representative of like, the, the the groundwork laid in the World War II generation to create this like long, succinct period of success in America. I'm not saying everybody's successful, but I'm saying America writ large has been successful for like the last 80 years. <laughs> this show is emblematic of like the fat and happy America, basically. Right. It, it, it's a demonstration. Of, and I think you I think you just divided it well that America has succeeded very well. Not everyone has succeeded in the same way. And the success of America has produced individuals like this. This is an, this is a, a demonstration of what this kind of success can bring. This unmeasurable amount of entitlement. This just belief that the world is inherently yours from the moment of birth because that's what's always proven true in front of you. And I feel like the term satire is thrown around too damn often in terms of describing media or describing shows, but this show has done that kind of satirical take of where things dialed up a little bit but it's done it well in terms of 
I'm depicting what the world was at this given point. Look back in the future and understand what we were going through. I think it will be, people will look back and say, this show represents a period of America where it was either on this downslide where it continued to go and then it got, you know, it got bad, dark place, whatever ends up happening. It's either on this like slide down, which I think one of my favorite shows, which is the election, one of my favorite episodes, which is the election night episode really talks about, which is like yes, this, like more who, than any other, who gives a fuck who's president. I just want to make money. Who gives a fuck if we're reporting real news or not? I just want viewers like that type of cynicism it is like emblematic of this, this slide in America, in our intellect, in our culture, in our morals, or it's going to be looked at as a pivot point. Like, man, that was a real low point before we had X happen and things started to change. And, and only time will tell. Well, and I feel like there's always been a concept with the uber wealthy that they always can have insulation. They always can retreat in their money. They always can be above, beyond, or separate from the concerns of the common man. And I feel like this show has just made that its theme of where we've created a whole new level of that that didn't exist at the time of Great Gatsby or stuff like that. Yeah. We've created a point of where the election, who's going to be running the most powerful you know, country on earth, it's going to directly control the future of all of our lives, is a flippant issue of personal power progression for these people because they're just that insulated. We've just created a whole new category and era of wealth that we're still conceptualizing. And I think this show is trained its eye on trying to give people an idea of what that is. The election night episode, which by the way, Spencer, they were talking about Fox news, Fox news. Got it. That's that, that's what they were talking about. And we should name it. And no, we should talk no, about no, it. No. Openly. That, that, that was not the name of the news channel. <laughs> there, uh, there was a very was different name of the news channel. <laughs> I, I, that was a callback to that episode where I just could, I was pulling teeth. I couldn't get Spencer to criticize Fox news openly, but like, I think that like, so you had Roman, right? Who, mm-hmm. Not he 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 didn't care. He was so personally invested in personally invested. Period. He was so personally invested. Period. Mm. That he didn't care if the person who got least votes within the system, like should not have won, it becomes president. He was okay with that outcome. Minkin mm. winning, even though Minkin shouldn't have won, he was totally fine with. Sure. Kendall and Shib were a little bit more uncomfortable with that. However. All of them were relatively comfortable with the fact that they ran a news network that lied to people daily. Like, so it. even the, even this line in the stand, the sand that we that we seem to get in that episode is so far down the in moral decay that it represents like a really disturbing aspect of America. And I'm glad it was like thrown in our face in that episode. I mean, their line in the sand is still taking into account that well, fundamentally though, I have to have influence. I can't make things better. Unless I've got influence. And this is my means to doing that. See, I'm a good person. And the fact that I have a bad tool just means that I can, you know, wield that tool in a way that then helps people. The arrogance of that is you know, like something that the episode in particular, but just the show in general are a highlight. And I know it wasn't like the show was trying. I felt like specifically in that episode, they were advancing the plot, but they were and they're driving toward the end game. But they were also trying to, to talk about the state of our politics, our elections and our news. And they were they were talking about that openly. I really wish, though, in that when they were talking about how eh, it kind of doesn't matter if it's Minken or who was the other guy, I can't remember the, the Democratic candidate. It, yeah, they're saying it doesn't matter. A lot of times, media says it doesn't matter because 
the Kindles, the Logan Roy's of the world are going to run things. They're going to imminence, right? The, 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 the Roy's of the world, the Waystar Roycos of the world are going to run shit anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. But I really wish they would have just like openly talked about the fact, like the whole country is falling apart every four years about our presidential election. But really the president runs this little sliver of the government. They oversee eight executive agencies and they spend the money that Congress gives them and they run the military. And that's kind of like their finite powers. Um, Because I feel like there's a fundamental misunderstanding about what the president does in this country. The episode did not take the opportunity to educate the viewer. Maybe they assumed the viewer already knew that piece. Um, But I, I often like in these shows when they like, they, they pick up on something like, Oh, this is a very big misconception in the country. So we'll build this into the plot to like tell a story. It would have been great if they'd have done that. Cause I see that throughout America misunderstanding of what the president does. And they think the scope is much larger than it is. Instead, they went the cynical way, which is not a shock with the show that they did, which is it doesn't even matter what the presumed powers of the presidency are. We, the people with the money run things anyway. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. It, this is, this is just another tool we're intending to use, which we saw that, to a certain degree blowing up in their faces at certain moments and certain times in terms of their presumption and their overconfidence in their power. It's Kendall. definitely a mindset they have. R.I.P. Kendall's career. All right, let's, uh, I think we, we, we talked about that. Um, I think we both kind of agree that well, as much as the, tell me if I'm, 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 I'm summarizing this right, is that as much as we expect this show to be looked back on as really well done in quality, as much of the conversation will be about the representation of a certain point in time in America. Like that will be just as important as the discussion about, man, they made a great show. They acted this well. They wrote it fantastic. It had this like individual feel for a show. I think in 20, 25 years, as much as that will be the conversation, there will also be this other conversation about they really pinpointed this, this, and this like decay in America really well. A question I have though, I mean, we're both complimenting the show to an exceptional degree and I think it deserves it. Do you have caveats? Do you see, uh, do you identify any flaws as being notable enough that when you're talking about the show in the future, that would be part of the discussion in your mind? Every time I have to do this, every time I get this question, I give an answer which really makes me sound like a jerk. It's like, well, if you don't like that sort of thing, then this isn't for you. <laughs> but I like it, fair. right? Like, and it's it's the thing of if you don't if you lo- if you don't like a show that has a dearth of heroes that has no heroes. If that, if the fact that there's nobody to root for in a show is a problem for you, mm-hmm. keep, keep it moving. This ain't your show. Now I, you know, not personally, but like in an artistic way, do look down on people who have that take because I'm mm-hmm. like, how can you not enjoy media when you, you don't have like a rooting interest? <laughs> you, you who just discovered the Sopranos recently. <laughs> yeah. Like I, it's hard for me to like be like, yeah, that's like a that's a great way to look at media because I, I don't think it is. But nonetheless, if if you have the opinion, like I want to look, I work hard. I've got kids running around. I'm stressed all the time. I want to turn something on and see good triumph over bad. Like that's what I want. Then I would tell you, go watch Lord of the Rings again and again and again. And this show is and enjoy it. This show isn't for you. But as far as like how how the show is produced, the only thing I can say I noticed is that I felt like they, like every other show who tried to keep production during this period, struggled in the COVID period. Their season three was the weakest season, and it was in part due to the constraints that it was nine episodes instead of 10. They couldn't have a lot of people in a room. The The writing 
and the plot development suffered because of that, because they were really limited in their production and what they were able to do. So I think that there was a there was a dip in season three. But I will say that of the shows that we followed during that time period, this show kept as close to the quality um, mm-hmm. as any that I saw, because I saw some shows really tanked during COVID where they just had like two people in a room reading a book, basically. This show did not do that. But it was it was it was a, it was a dip in value or a dip in quality in season three. How about you? I, I have a similar thought of where I think that dip is made all the more noticeable based on just how well season two ended and how important it felt like the end of season two was going to be to the overall story. And the fact that I would say almost through like the back third of season three, it felt like they kind of put their their, their foot on the gas a little bit due to production issues, due to. Who knows exactly? I think, I think as you said, COVID played a lot in terms of it feeling like the first half of that season was kind of meandering a little bit, or at least just kind of stewing rather than progressing in a way I was hopeful for after how season two went. Uh, it felt like at the end, because of how notable that was, that the show ended up being better within its individual episodes and better within its individual seasons than it was in between seasons. I felt like every start of each season was the weakest of the episodes. Uh, when it came to when it came to each season, because it, it didn't feel like they always were able to as perfectly bridge the movements between them and what they'd set up with in the prior in the, in the end of the last season. But I think season three makes that more notable in my mind than otherwise might be. It, you know, here's the question for you: if, Now we know what the end game was. The end game was Kendall's going to get right to the precipice, and his his ego, his overinflated confidence and sense of self, and his inability to show any level of humility is going to pull the rug right out from under him right at the end. And Kendall will not take over. Right. And the, and, the, and it will end up um, basically breaking up with whatever semblance of leadership of Waystar Royco um, remains being with Tom. That was the end game. Yes. If you knew they were going there, would you have advised to just make season three, the end? Yes. Because I, I, I would too. They did. They didn't need season three to get there because when Kendall tried to take down Logan at the end of season two, they could have jumped right into Kendall trying to take the company and then they could tell that story of him getting right up to the end and it being pulled away. Because that's basically where he ends up starting season four is kind of like, you know, shortly after where he was ending season two in terms of off on his own, trying to do his own thing, undermining his father. Season three doesn't feel like it progresses things as much. It does to an aspect of Kendall dealing with his guilt. But he's still dealing with that throughout the entirety of the series. And you could have made, you know, season four, 12 episodes long and accomplished that probably in just about the same same time if you reworked it a bit. But I, I love you mentioned that because I was like, if there, if you rewrote a bit of how season four flows, maybe make like, Matson not as big as of a focus, whatever else, and make it instead Kendall kind of filling a similar role uh, instead of Matson, you could just eliminate season three and just make season four focus on the, on the almost the exact same themes. I don't think they needed season three. I just think they were at a place in COVID where they couldn't do season four. So they just had this. It's not filler because it is quality, but it, it is it's as close to filler as they get. Um, OK, uh, you want to talk about winners and losers, characters and actors? Well, let's do one of the ones that I think is the most inverse of each other. I think this discussion has to include Kendall and Jeremy Strong in terms of. Kendall, I feel like, is ultimately the biggest loser of this entire show. I think that's part of the point, is seeing him fail, seeing him collapse, seeing him end 
despite all of his ambitions, despite all of his goals, despite him being as close as the show got to a main character in terms of arc and focus. He failed completely and utterly to the point of when almost everyone in the audience that I've talked about with is contemplating his suicide at the end of that uh, at the end of season four, as the character himself may be. So I, now we we talk. You, you're, you, I, I agree with you, but but to contextualize, he lost because he got a multi billion dollar payout. But within the context of the show, <laughs> I know what you mean. Though with, with right. his objective, all of these people have a warped sense, and we do because we're watching them yes. and care about them in terms of what <laughs> what is winning and what is losing. Um, Multi billion dollar payout. He didn't get the company, so he's going to jump off a bridge. It, yes, and and you understand it. You feel for him in that moment of how much, from his perspective, he has failed. How much his idea of what he wanted accomplished, his sense of self, is now tattered on the ground behind him, smote upon the earth. I mean, who who in, who in your mind competes with him in terms of just like folks of the show? It's themes the most overarching failure. As compared to Jeremy Strong, who knocks it out of the goddamn park, even if the man's kind of nuts in terms of his acting method. I think it's really hard to say anybody but Kendall for loser of the episode. Um, I I don't know that I have another name for you. Um, I think that there were some people involved uh, who who had some bad... Like, I think that um, our guy, uh, Connor had had some losing seasons but i wouldn't say that he ended in a worse place than kendall no um, I, I, i'd I say that um i feel like connor's protected by his own delusion there too i think it, the failing in this show has to be internal more than anything else because they can only fail externally so much it's in it's their sense of goal and accomplishment upon which they're being judged and i think carrie carrie lost because she swung yeah. big you know, partnering up with Lo- with Roy Logan, uh, Logan Roy, and and then of course he dies, and then she ends up kind of out on the street almost. So, yeah, I think I think I think Kendall is the big loser. I think you're right, and I think that like I'm I'm glad that he lost. I rooted for Kendall this whole show, mm-hmm. but I was rooting for him despite what I knew was wrong with him, and like the thing that is wrong with him is is like such a real thing that like I feel like anybody can relate to, and it's this concept of like Kendall is smart. Kendall is capable, but Kendall does not know where he fits in on the scale of smart and capable people that the world has to offer. He mm-hmm. doesn't, he think it, the da- most dangerous thing in the, in the workplace, in my opinion, is someone who's a seven who thinks they're a nine. And Kendall was a strong seven and always thought he was a nine or a 10. And that led to that, that always was going to lead to him failing. He, he was never able to get a real sense of self and humility and where he sits in the scale of things. Because if he ever could have done that, he would have won. Mm-hmm. He absolutely would have won. If he could have walked in to that boardroom with the understanding that he was lucky to be in the position that he was, that there were other very capable people and that he needed to really thank and, and show massive amounts of humility for anybody who would vote for him. I am almost sure that Shiv would have voted for him. Um, and, and it, it's a it's a wonderful lesson because I just see it play out all the time in life when people think that they're smarter than they are or just don't have a real sense of scale about talent. They always fail at some level. It, if any of the three main Roy siblings had any measure of humility, think how many mistakes they could have avoided 
Think how many unforced errors could have been just left to the wayside and never explored. But they don't have it in them. Product of their environment, raising, the method by which their father raised them, absence of any sense of, you know, perspective on the world. But I, I, I feel that Kendall is not alone in the idea that his just hubris, his living the Peter principle in terms of getting far beyond his abilities in terms of position that he's in in life, is not something that is unique to him. I think that the only person we have as a poll for what I was just talking about with Kendall is Roman. Because I do think that there were multiple moments that Roman said, I know I'm not the smartest guy. I know that I know that I'm like, I have my flaws. I know like he would acknowledge that that he had issues or that he was he wasn't the smartest guy in the room in every every room he walked into. Um I'm not saying Roman was like the guy you want to hire to be your CEO, but he the, the specific thing I'm talking, the specific issue with Kendall, I do think Roman had a better grasp on himself than Kendall did. And I think he ends better because of it, because he ultimately is able to rationally see. Rationally this is a win. That, I got a big win. I'm out and I get billions. That he didn't want this. He wanted to not have this responsibility. He wanted to not have to live up to the legacy of his father. He just couldn't avoid that as long as he was still in that world. And this is an exit, a surprisingly clean exit. On the other hand, and I think I think she's a reasonable competitor for Loser, Shiv doesn't actually get an exit. She gets trapped in a world that she did not want, that she did not aspire to, where what cho- her only choice is but to remain or to be nothing, at least from her perspective. Yeah, I I don't think that Shiv 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 mm-hmm. Shiv everybody V Shiva. it's not a it's not a B because I when I say Shiv people are right in and they say hey, you don't know anything you're stupid Shiv mm. Shiv I would not put as loser but I I certainly wouldn't put as winner either I think that she prioritized a couple things in that last moment. She prioritized her own sense of right and wrong Mm -hmm. because as she looked at Kendall and saw how he was acting, she felt like it was just wrong for him to win. I do think that was a big part of it. She felt like he can't win here. This is, this isn't right. Like this shouldn't happen. And she got that. She was able to pull the lever. She was able to pull the rug out from under him. She stopped it. And she also was able to like hand the reins. Um, She would have preferred herself obviously, but she, she's close to power and, you know, she's pregnant and she's still with her husband. So I think, and there's, that seemed to be something that she wanted toward the end of season four. So I think she got like a couple things. It's like, you know, like she had the Whole Foods shopping list and then she went to her local grocery store. And so she got like two thirds of what she was looking for. I, I don't think it's that close. I think the Shiv was in a similar category. At least it convinced herself she was in a similar category to Kendall in terms of ambition. That she th- thought that she deserved the feather. For no other reason than because no one had ever offered it to her before. And in the end, merely taking what for anyone else would be a win. The idea of... I mean, Shiv feels like a lot throughout the series she would judge a woman that would just pick a life of comfort. That would pick something that feels safe and protected. That is being up beneath her is something that she, you know, can aspire to greater things with respect to. And the fact that she ends up getting that life, given everything she's fought for previously, for her does not feel like a win. Just because she seemed like, up until maybe the end, like you said, there's some hints that she's maybe changing her mindset. She disdained where she ended up. 
I'm not saying she won. I'm certainly not saying that, but I, I'm saying that she, I can't, I can't put her as loser because she had some agency about where things went at the end. Mm-hmm. And well, she, she has more she, agency than any of them does. She makes she the made decision. The, she made governs. the decision. And then, you know, she does end up with Tom. And I always had more faith in the Shiv Tom relationship than you did. Through the, you if you go back did. and listen, I kept and you saying, still do. I always said those two kids are going to make it. They're going to work out. You were always looking at me like, what are you talking about? And, I was like, I, I see love there. I, I, it's strange, and, but I see it. And I love that we're still having that argument because you're convinced that they're going to. I'm convinced that we're what we're seeing yeah, is just I a, a rotting fine. corpse. <laughs> and I think it's like, they're good. I think they're going to be just no, fine. No, I, we look at that car at the end. You're like, oh, look at the two of them, bri- you know, bridge and barriers. And I'm looking at the two of them look like a wax sculpture sitting in the same room. They are two people that are never, they, they're going to, they're going to always, st- they're always going to be tied together. Um but they're 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 going to find ways to make themselves unhappy unless they they do a lot of work on themselves. But that doesn't mean they dislike each other. And I feel like that does set up a hell of a nominee for who wins the ultimately the series. Well, I also want to point out that if anybody has Logan Roy as their loser because he died, then you and I are not on the same page because um, Logan was what eighty two I think when he died in the show, mm-hmm. um, and you know it's like that old saying: everybody is okay dying at ninety until they're eighty nine. Everybody wants more time right at the end. So he would, I'm sure he would have wanted more time, right? But he got to live a good, long, successful life and he did exactly what the fuck he wanted to the entire time. I have, I, I don't have it, Logan, anywhere near the bottom here. I feel like the only way you can try to assess Logan in that regard is to assess what his legacy is. And the moment you're pondering what someone's legacy is, they've already won. Yeah, they're doing it's pretty like, well. If you're if you're pondering what effect they're going to have on future generations, they're not going to be at your bottom three when it comes to success. Strangely enough, we have a lot of winners. I think we've got Tom as, as obviously as a hell, big winner. Hell option, yes. I think um, Jerry is an option for a big winner uh, because she kept her job. She stays in the company. She's a, still in a position of power. I would, say, I would say the female board members, because throw Carolina in there too. She's still got her job. She's still gaining in power. It's a, the, the, the women won from a certain perspective when it comes to at least the board members of the show. Yeah. And, you know, Connor got a big payout, right? Because he was a shareholder. So mm-hmm. when the, And he needed cash, clearly. <laughs> He's going to need it going forward. Frank and Carl seemed fairly happy with their plight at the end, that they were mm-hmm. going to get a big payout and they got to retire and just kind of chill. Um, we had that fantastic si- you know, uh, shot of them outside the sauna, you know, looking at the, the roast duck and the peking duck in the, <laughs> in the window. And, and I think it was just emblematic of what their mindset was. Those guys are on a beach somewhere hanging out. Well, and you, you, both you and I had the exact same response of when they're at the, you know, like, the, they're announcing that Matson and uh, one whatever else, Frank and Carl turn to each other and just kind of comment, oh, you know, we're out, whatever else, but, you know, we got our money. They kind of look at each other, they kind of look at each other and they say, one more time? Oh, you rogue. It's like, oh, these guys aren't done. They got a story to go from here and they may do it together. Yeah, but they they did not end in a bad place, I think. Oh, no, we, missed God, one, no. we missed one on Loser. We, we absolutely did. Colin. Colin was a loser. Colin was a surprising loser. Yeah, yeah the fact he that he's partnered with Kendall at the end kind of get you know, associate that. But most most depressing little individual shots of the season four might just be seeing Colin look sad. Colin had a rough go of it. It does not end in a good place. Marsha ends relatively happy. I think Stewie yes. ends well, relatively the happy. Wives end um, fairly happy. So there there was a lot of winners here. I think if I had to to pick one. Um, and I'm going there before you so that I can I can call him first. I think I'd pick Tom um, with a honorable mention probably to Jerry. And I just appreciate 
and I see this a lot, you know, I work for a large company and I, I see, I've been doing it for a long time and I see this kind of stuff happen. I always appreciate the person that chaos happens, there's turnover, there's revenue uh, decrease, so there's cuts, there's uncertainty, there's instability, and there's always that one person that just finds a way to mm-hmm. keep their keep their corner, keep their job, just and make keep it work. Swimming, swimming, and swimming. that's Jerry, and she just they can't kill her, and I fucking love it. And I, I'm going to do two that pair off the ones that you just said. I'm going to focus on relationship winners and losers when it mm-hmm. comes to it because I think the, the show has done those so well. Relationship winner uh, Tom and Greg, the two comic relief over the course of the show. The, you know, the, the two, if you want to talk about this in Shakespearean terms, the comic characters, the comic interlude, or even like the Rosencrans and Guildenstern, where they're just always there and around and persevering and surviving and being weird and somehow making this weird little twisted relationship between the two of them work. The, their relationship won. Their relationship endured. Their relationship improved them both, as it turned out, and they're together in the end in a way that nobody else is to the same way in the same degree. You can talk about Tom and Shiv being together, but... Tom and Greg are together. They are together, properly. They care for each other and they got their backs in a way that can endure through any measure of betrayal. Put a sticker on him. Whatever else. He put a sticker on him. I'm taking you with me. I'm bringing you along. Uh, Yeah, I I think it was a great moment. uh, Meanwhile, loser relationship. I mean, obviously the Roy siblings may never talk to each other again. I don't believe that Kendall will ever speak to Shiv again in his life. One that I thought had a potential for health and for growth and for mutual advancement, like discussing in the same category as Tom and Greg, was um, Jerry and Roman. The two of them had a lot of potential, weird as their relationship was, how much everyone passed it, to be supportive, to back up each other, to complement each other, and to succeed together. And Roman, for all of the faults on his part, threw those away oh, and what mm-hmm. we disagree so much on this one get please finish your th- your, your point We're, there were so many opportunities by which I mean, you, you, you talk about the betrayal whatever else when jerry said you know why should why should i back you what's my what's what's my incentive i think it was in the end of season three uh when they have, have that conversation but Roman made so many missteps when it came before then and so many missteps that came after in terms of using this relationship and building it in terms about it, in terms of the advice that she offered, the, the road that she was panting, and how they could actually, you know, grow together in this regard, the way she was describing. And he, though he ends up fairly well in terms of just being out of that entirely, it didn't have to happen if he didn't, as they all do, get so much in his own way. And I think that drove their relationship that a lot of potential down the toilet. See, I th- I have I view that as it not working because they never never wanted the same thing. Uh, Jerry wanted a close working personal relationship. Roman wanted a sexual relationship and wanted to like date her or something. I, I don't. Know Jerry that she didn't. Jerry was a hundred percent. I feel like motivated by her position and wanting to keep it. And I, by the way, I just gave her a gold medal for this. I re- highly I respect you it. endorse so not, her for this. I am not, I'm not saying this in a negative way, but I think that she was using Roman the entire time. And, 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 and I think that she, if you, if you presented her, if Roman came to her and said, you were using me, I think she'd go. Yeah. And you should have used me. Well, That's what we were doing. What one relationship I wish you're, you're so fun. Well, here's a criticism. I'll, I'll throw this out as a criticism. One relationship. I feel like the show wasted a little bit at the end was uh, Frank and Kendall. We've, we've been talking about Frank and Kendall and their yeah. relationship th- 
so much throughout the show, including in season four, and we had such interesting thoughts about where that might go. And I feel like see, the last few, last episode or two of season four just ignored it entirely, despite how important it came across before it went into that moment. That maybe I'll put that on there as just the disappointment in the disappointment category for the show that 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 relationship didn't end up meaning more by the end. I'd have liked to nod to it. I, as far as the actors, I think that. Let's get Brian Cox's just own mention as just being this is a crowning achievement that he'll be remembered forever for this damn role. Well, I also think like that we have a tendency, and it's getting worse lately, I feel like, mm-hmm. to think that when people reach a certain age, they just don't have anything to offer anymore. They're done. They're on the down flood. Like they're just yeah. like, oh my God, they're too, you hear too old. Like it's, it's like really socially acceptable to just say the phrase too old now. Like, mm-hmm. when did that become okay to just say, say, oh, you're too old, so therefore we don't we don't want you. Like, mm-hmm. I think you could have easily said that about Brian Cox, considering his age. And what he showed is that people who are older with a lot of experience often can leverage that experience and have something really to offer that we should not blanket dismiss because of their age. Like, he, his experience as a Shakespearean stage actor is what brought he brought to this role and why he shined so much like he leveraged 45 years of acting experience to give us this role and it's like sometimes people who have been doing something a long time we should listen (laughs) experience matters yeah we should fucking listen to and i i really believe that about him i think his 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 specifically his stage experience is what came through because he did a lot of those big loud gesticulating things that you do on stage and that's what made the character logan roy so fucking great and certainly every actor offers there there are so few like you know weak performances when it comes to the show every actor is doing their character justice when it comes to the screen but i feel like brian cox could consistently just by his presence make everybody else better and the overall scene improved his own performance is always going to be solid brian freaking cox in in terms of everything he's been in but when you place a guy in a situation and just by his sheer charisma, just by you said, by his playing to the back rows when it comes to his presentation, it just heightens the overall experience at every, every moment for everybody else around him, but also us as an audience. Isn't that representative of a great stage actor, though? Because that's what they yes. do, right? Is that yes. they, 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 they bring an energy to it that like the other people on the stage kind of get like cross-eyed and like go into a, a haze and like get, get amped with them. Right. They bring out that, um, that adrenaline and the other person. I think he did that really well. And I think that he was unable often to do it with Jeremy strong because of how Jeremy strong approaches acting. And that's why those two butted heads as much as they did. And they, they've been very open about that. And I don't think it's cause they dislike each other personally. It's because one is very much a method film actor and the other Jeremy is very strong. much. Yeah. And Classically one, is, trained. one is very much a, a Shakespearean stage actor. And there's just two mm-hmm. different approaches. I think, uh, in terms of, New actors coming out of the show for me, uh, Colkin is. I was just so amazed by his performance as Roman when it came to what he offered. I'd never seen him in anything previously. I didn't know he was an actor. I'm going to be looking for him going forward. Just in terms of several of the other actors I knew from various other things or seen, or seen other things. Him, I had no prior exposure, but um, he's on note to make Mirror on out. Um, I feel like another one to mention, just because I feel like his, his character doesn't get enough mention, but the actor should. Alan Ruck does great as Connor. He does really damn strong in a role that is meant to get limited exposure, but he does such a masterful job in terms of it. 
I agree. If I had to say a loser as far as the actors, I don't think anybody did a bad job acting. But I do think that Nicholas Braun runs the risk of being typecast because of his portrayal and how yeah and how he also is like you know i don't know if you've seen his like actual interviews like of him as greg or as nicholas i mean like he kind of is that and so like when you are that and you act it you really do start to get typecast like i think that we'll see this guy in things playing greg again and again and again i'm not sure that's great for his career I'm 100% there with you. I think he did well with the role. I think notably he got noticeably better at the role as time went on, too. But it's a dangerous role for him. Because he's going to... The people that just now just know him as Greg is going to be an issue in terms of just either typecasting or just in terms of... He is capable of getting beyond that role and moving beyond that role in a way that I will be curious to see. I hope that he does. I don't think Matthew McFadden has any worry of that because he was doing he has a like a 15 year 20 year career of mm. doing like every single thing on the Britbox app before <laughs> he ever got to this show mm-hmm. and i think mm-hmm. he's got mm-hmm. like a a massive backlog of experience and past performance that will continue to push him to whatever roles he's interested well, in i i think he also i think it, it often can be a problem particularly for comic characters and greg was never not comic in a way that tom became very much dramatic and so Good point. Great point. The range that they, that they gave... What's the name? I'm, I'm, I'm suddenly blanking on it. What's the name of the actor that plays Tom? Matthew McFade. Matthew McFade. The range they gave him, the variety, got him to showcase and advertise his talents in a way that I feel like they just couldn't or didn't give to Greg. I think that's a really, really great point. We lump those together a lot, but they were different roles. And I think that's a, yes. that's a fantastic it, point. And because of that, I, Greg has some good moments, but I'm never going to put him in my top ten moments of the show. Tom, Tom is in some of my favorite moments of the damn show when they're not having him be comic. And also when they're having him be comic. They are able to dial him so so much in different ways. He made for some of the best part of the television. Let's do the snake draft. Okay. I've given you the number one pick. Which was so generous of you. I I don't really like that I've done that now. I (laughs) I don't know why you did either. Because I've got a real strong number one. I want to get off the board. I've got a Victor Wimbanyama. I want it's. I got a. I got a clear number one. But I'm gonna. I'm gonna turn it over to you. Who do you pick? I'm gonna try to steal the shit out of that one by picking what. What is very much for me my favorite episode of the show. The show that in my mind is just the high point that the show never even got to it again. As good as it was to come thereafter, Mm. but. This is not for season two, episode ten. It's the best show. It's the best episode of the show. I mean, it is is so good. So many great moments. Tom and Shiv on a beach. Tom eating eating Logan's chicken. That ending. I mean, again, that's why I feel like the first half of season three was great television. It is great television, but it just looks so much worse in comparison because that's the last moment we saw season two. And by comparison, first half of season three just feels meandering in large part because it just can't feel like it's building off. What was just the towering inferno moment of the entire damn series? Spencer takes season two, episode ten. You're, this is not for you're tears. Writing these down? Oh yeah, I'm writing them down. So we'll have a Thank you. we'll have a thing at the end. Um, okay, so mine is probably a little bit of a surprise. I think there's Ooh. clearly a couple I'm targeting. Bore on the floor, but uh, are you are I'm, you picking bore on the floor? Because that's I'm on not, my list. It's a I'm great not, episode. I'm not. I'm targeting it. It's on my draft board. Mm-hmm. I'm taking Connor's wedding, and I'm taking it because you son of a bitch. That was my next choice. <laughs> as much as I love everything we've talked about so far, which is the show, really commenting on this 
post-World War II boom sort of continual. I'm talking about long game. I'm not talking about like three-year increments. Boom mm-hmm. of America, this insane wealth that certain segments of the country have, this commentary on it. The show took a moment in Connor's wedding to, I think, the most skillfully I have ever seen on screen show grief. And I, mm-hmm. I couldn't believe that they did it as good as they did. It was stunning to me that 20, 25 minute segment right in the middle when they didn't they did they they didn't know if he was dead, but they suspected it and everyone was slowly coming to terms with it. And you got to see each character do it. Shiv especially was fan fucking tastic in showing what grief is. And like I didn't know like it's it's strange. It's you it's like you got this pitcher and he's striking everybody out with a hundred mile an hour fastball, and then you know, 60 games in the season, he just fucking throws a looping curveball you didn't know he had in his, his repertoire. That's what this was. It was like, holy shit, they, they are in their bag because they showed me on screen a better representation of grief than I've ever seen uh, in that media. And I feel like it's an example of, I commented before that I felt like the show was better within episode and within season. I feel like the best structured maybe season of the entire show is maybe season four. And I feel like putting episode three of season four, Connor's Wedding, where it was, is just a masterstroke of that. The fact that Logan is dying, not halfway through, not later on in the season, but in a position that makes it so all the rest of the characters have to live beyond him for another, what, seven episodes of the damn show was just a genius move. And the episode itself is almost as close to flawless as this series can get of where how emotionally effective it was, how many different points it hit on, how real and raw and for a brief moment human these characters feel as they're just going through the process of grief is among the best I've ever seen, as you said, grief portrayed on television. All right. You're the pick. Your next pick for you, pick number two. I am going to pick a safe one. Uh, it's one you've referenced before, but I feel like it's one that they're going to talk about in history books, just in terms of just it's the satire laid most plain on the screen, but America decides. Season uh, three, episode eight. It's not my favorite episode of the show. It may not be my top three episodes of the show, but in terms of important episodes, in terms of episodes that have obvious resonance, in terms of episodes that are going to have a legacy, as we love to keep referencing, I feel like that one's got to rank very damn high. Spencer just stealing all my favorites. Pick His pick three is going to be boring on the floor. Watch him. Um, grab it now, sir. You've got time. I can't. I can't, in good conscience, take bore over the bore the floor over with open eyes. The finale. Um, uh, that is my number two pick because I think they. You know, you and I have talked at length on multiple podcast feeds and argued and argued, and we will continue until one of us loses breath about the importance of a finale. I think it's less important than you do. You think all, I'm overstating for the purpose of the argument, you think everything that goes before it sucks and you can throw it away if they don't land the plane well. It, people, it people matters disagree. more to me, clearly. People disagree on this. But what's so fantastic is that this show cut the legs out from that argument altogether by landing the plane extremely well. I think that like where they went, like the execution of the episode is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But, like, I love that, like, they clearly had a plan, which was Logan will die, Kendall will try to take the company and will fail. And they, and no matter how big and talked about and loved and stretched out due to COVID and other things, this show became, they finished where they wanted to go. And that makes, that gives it all a sense of uh, uh, this, like, linear sense of storytelling. 
Um, there was no strange curveball that I feel like they cooked up in the last moment. Spencer, there was no The Last Jedi that made no sense compared to The Force <laughs> Awakens, right? Yeah. This is this is this is, there's a con- continuity to the storytelling that I enjoyed, and then you know um, I think it's as much as we've talked about how fantastic um, Brian Cox was as Logan Roy. Mm-hmm. Um, this was the like put it on Mount Rushmore for Jeremy Strong uh, episode. He really, he really came. He brought the heat, and I enjoyed it. It, it. It's an incredible episode. I like how diverse of an episode it is. I like how many different moments it has. How many little vignettes, including like my favorite, some favorite most of the episodes. As much as Jeremy Strong does absolutely great with the Valley of Rails, are just the little moments of the siblings together in a way that may be the last moments of their lives. The last times that they may be sitting calmly in a room together, having fun, making... What was that that shake that they made there in that scene that's largely improv Yeah, yeah. And then he had to eat it because he was the king or whatever. And yes. Yeah, it was... Yeah, it was that, Drink that. for a king. And what we learned, we learned a couple things, actually, um, after the show ended, which is which I think is an interesting tidbits. One is that that's the last um, scene that they filmed. So they allowed them to like have this really fun, really good time. Um, and it, I think it was more the actors showing affection for each other than acting through the characters. Also, another thing that Jesse Armstrong said, couldn't believe he said it, stunned that he said it, but he said, Logan Roy underlined Kendall's name. He did I, not cross it out. And like, I, I thought it might be smart to leave that open for history, I, but he came out and said it. He said, no, the way that the, that Logan was left-handed and left-handed people, if they're going to underline something going left to right, would never start at the bottom and go up, or bottom okay. and go up if they were crossing it out. I legitimately dislike that he didn't leave mystery there because the mystery was everything. The, the uh, favorite moments I, that, that was the episode after Logan. I, I, I don't have that one on my list, so I, didn't, I can look up the name. But I think that was the episode after Logan's death of when they're going through the church will, and whatever. state, maybe. Um, no, it was earlier than that. Honeymoon um, states. Honeymoon states. I think honeymoon states. There you go. That's right. You're right. Yeah, I think I think I think that's the one. Um, but it, and it's a great episode. I mean, so many episodes are. But that moment of when it's either Shiv or the Roman point out to Kendall that it could be crossed out, it could be underlined. You can't tell. And later in the episode, when Kendall's just looking at it, all of that processing in his head—that was everything. That ambiguity mattered. The uncertainty where the character himself will never know whether. His father was endorsing him or cutting him out forever. We should be left in that mindset. That shouldn't be clarified going forward. The, the story should end with the page. I don't like these little reveals after the fact. Well, you know, I think he went with. I think he went with the point of the season was the tragedy of Kendall, and that drives yes. it home because that even it makes it even more tragic that Logan really did want him to succeed him. Shall I pick my third, sir? Please do. You've telegraphed it all to hell, and I do have to mention it, and I do want to say it because it is among my favorite episodes of the series because I think it is possibly the single best individual scene within an episode, but season two, episode three, hunting. Bore on the floor. Bore on the floor. Spencer just stealing every single one of my picks here. A fantastic I, display from you um, of a petty draft. I, I enjoy it. <laughs> I feel like it absolutely deserves it. I mean, we, would you not agree that in terms of just like, you know, Brian Cox wants to just do his reel of like, these are the moments that I want shown during the, the, the uh, Lifetime Academy Award kind of thing. Him in that moment for Bore on the Floor is just at his most 
I don't want to say super villain, but you know, Shakespearean villain in terms of him just presiding over and treating everyone around him as puppets, and the tension in the scene, and the build up when it comes to it, and just dying inside with the characters as they're enduring the whims of this megalomaniac is just am- among the best the, sh- the series ever got. <coughs> um. So I'm going to pick your third set. Prague, season one, episode eight. Ah, I wanted to pick that one as my honorary mentions because that's the funniest damn episode of the entire series. And that, I, and I, and I think that like that's something I haven't talked about enough in this review episode is that like I told you, watch this show; it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. You watch the show with your significant other, mm-hmm. and she turned to you and said, "What's wrong with your friend? Why does he think this is funny?" <laughs> Um, Prague is emblematic of the, of how well they can do comedy in this show. I mean, let, just a couple things from this episode. It was a fucking tour de force. First off, oh, absolutely. Kendall actually says this sentence: "Business is my fucking." Yes, he Greg. Does. Greg does a massive amount of cocaine in order to save Kendall. That's how he. That's how he thinks. Mm-hmm. Tom has to leave his genuine best friends behind for this night the fly of guys weirdness the fly guys. and then the funniest sentence that's been uttered on hbo i think in my in my opinion ever closed loop system um all time i will never i will never recover from that sentence from that description Fucking of dumped all disgusting time. <laughs> all time closed loop system is so good uh it, it's it yeah i mean I, I think it's an appropriate spot for it too right because the show t- tell the show does commentary on the, the world on America and the show does drama a little bit better than it does comedy, but it still does comedy really well. Mm-hmm. Last one for me. Yeah. Okay. You mentioned one in season one. I'm going to mention one in season one. Cause I feel like season one, I think I put season one in third place, but it has some really great moments. It has some really good episodes in it. And I want to highlight another one that I feel like is like, the episode you need to encourage everybody to make it to. Like, if you want to give the show a fair chance, make it to this one. But which side are you on? Season 1, Episode 6. This is when Kendall's first power play fails. This is the one of where it's the famous scene of where Kendall was trying to run to get to the board meeting through the tunnels, through everything else, while Brian Cox presides there over. As all of his ambition, as all of his little shenanigans fall apart due to basically traffic. Due to him overcommitting to make sure that every little possibility is sufficiently secured and that blowing up in his face. It's among the most, in my mind, tense episodes of the show. It's one of the show, it's one of the episodes that really convinced me in season one just how well written and how not just well written in terms of characters bantering, but just from a plot depiction and successfully built up tension and emotion the show could be capable of. So though it's not probably my top five or even more episodes of the overall series, it was for me one of the most important. Because it told me at the earliest how good this show could be and how much I wanted to stick with it for the rest of the run. Great pick. And I am going to pick for my fourth pick, Turn Haven, season two, episode five. Solid one. Solid one. It it represents how well the show did um, Destination uh, episodes are like uh, like where they would go and do something on site on site episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, they did those really really well. I mean, is there anything more succession other than people sitting in a room talking than black SUVs going down an empty highway? I mean, that is like that is succession. It is most successiony. And Turnhaven did that. I I think that like for a show that's going to be as long as this, right? It's not like it's not like a movie, right? Like I think we got what 
um, 39 hours of these characters. If it's going to be that long, I think there's a basketball analogy here. You're going to be shocked that I'm doing a basketball analogy, so you know, sit down. Uh, I, know you're, I know you're stunned. Mm. Shaq talks about this a lot. He says, there's always going to be, on contenders, there's always going to be stars. But how well can those stars get the others involved and get the others playing well? And Turnhaven is an example of the others, the uh, the Pierces specifically, but also Holly Hunter and her role. Just coming in and batting a thousand, right? When when you have guest stars come in and do really, really well, especially with a show that is like so niche and like so like has its own individual flavor like this show, uh, even how the dialogue is bantered back and forth, it would feel to me like maybe guest starring on the show would be difficult, but they were able mm-hmm. to plug people in who did a fantastic job. So when the others are also doing really well, along with the stars of our cast, uh, now you've got a, a big, fleshed out, beautiful episode. Turnhaven was that. I loved it. It's another episode also that highlights one of the relationships that I very much liked and the show kind of left behind a bit after season two, despite how important it was to me and also the characters in season two. But uh, Kendall, and I'm blanking on her name, what was the name of the of his equivalent in that, in, in that Na- other family? Naomi. Naomi. I liked Kendall and Naomi quite a bit. Kendall Naomi was one of the ways Kindles could have, Kendall, Kendall could have gotten out if his ambition just wasn't all-encompassing. And that was one of the important episodes in terms of setting up their relationship in a way that I found quite meaningful and important for Season 2 and for the journey the character is making in Season 2 and eventually finding a will to get away and out from under his father despite how Season 1 ended. So Turnhaven's an excellent choice I like quite a bit. Turnhaven was, yeah, really good. Now, so notable things that we left off I'd like to point out. Uh, we left several here. <laughs> we left off all the bells say season three, episode nine, and we left out the finale of season one. And I'll tell you, I, I thought that season one wrapped up. Well, I just didn't love the Chappaquiddick thing because mm-hmm. it's, it's not a show that did that. Right. It, they, they didn't give us like stand-ins for like real people or real events. They were creating a fictional world with fictional. Like it, I didn't like watch this show and go, Oh, there's Bill Gates. You know, or there's Mark yeah. Zuckerberg. Like they didn't do that, so doing it took me out of it slightly. I didn't. I didn't love well, that they went there with the plot. How would you rate the four finales? Yeah, um, uh, two, four, three, one. Yes, I, I, I agree, and I don't think it's that contentious, really. Of where I think they're all among the best episodes of the series, yes. but one I feel is not in the same league as four, as, as, two, as two, four, three. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's it's a long drop off, right? Three, all, I would have if we'd have gone to maybe six, I would have picked all the bells. Say, it, well, it's it's on my big board. Three, I think is the all the bells say. I think is the only one I picked for season three, but it is among the best episodes of the entire damn show. I feel like season three didn't, in my mind, fully click until maybe the last three three or so episodes of it, but it ended on one hell of a note. All right, do you want to say your four? Uh, so my so my four to to go back through were this is not for tears season two episode ten what well, you write them down read them out for us uh, I I missed the fourth one but I've got this is not for tears America decides hunting uh, my fourth one was which side are you on which season side one, you, which side are you on yep uh, okay and then mine are Connor's wedding with open eyes Prague and Turnhaven so I pick, hey pick folks listening ones, folks listening to let us know who you think won the draft uh, I think <laughs> we picked eight great episodes though um, and when you when you when you Deciding who won the draft, remember that I 
uh, very graciously gave Spencer the first step, uh, first pick because I absolutely would have picked. This is not for tears. First number, I, I absolutely I, would have done that. And if you'd picked that one, my next pick would have been Connor's wedding. That's yeah, so we might have been just completely flipped here. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, uh, this has been fantastic to revisit the show. Uh, fantastic to sit down and chat with you again about good television. Anything else you want to mention about Succession in our last ever Line of Succession episode? Uh, do, do you have enough of a memory to pick what was your least favorite episode? Do you have, do you have, do you have a memory or conversation? I can give you, give you, an, give you an option if you, if, you, if you need ones to consider. I have a list of episodes here, and I, I can look at them. Um, what, what, what are you thinking? Uh, I don't remember the name of it, but the Adrian Brody episode in season three of when they're going to try to use, uh, go and cater to a billionaire that's on an island where Kendall and Logan are competing for his funding. That was an early season, I think was three episode. That was an early example for me of, I'm not as engrossed when it comes to the show right now. So I don't think the episode itself was that was bad in any sense of the word. I think it was still a good episode. But it was, in my mind, indicative of that kind of lull in the first part of season three of where it didn't feel like the show was clicking as well as I remembered and I was hoping for. Yeah, my my, uh, my pick would have been Secession, season three, episode one. Oh, because, the beginning of it. Yeah, because I felt like there was this fantastic opportunity to ride off of that Kindle press conference. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead, they just kind of dropped into Kindle trying to be his dad and trying to like... You know, uh, we're we're you know taught how he how he was interacting with Jess and the whole thing. Um, I would have loved if they would have picked up with season three episode one with Kendall walking off stage after the press conference and walking mm-hmm. to the back and like collapsing, crying, dealing with it, the immediate aftermath a little bit more. I, I, um, I, and I think it just set up for the the start of season three. I think all not all succession fans, but a lot of succession fans agree that was the weakest part of the series at large was the first couple episodes of season three. It's also just not what I wanted or needed. I didn't want Manic Kendall in that moment. I wanted a little bit more of end of season two Kendall for just a bit, but that that honestly disappears before we even start season three. By the time he's in the limo, that is gone already. I think the episode you were talking about is Lion in the Meadow. That's the Adrian Brody episode. That didn't really work for me either. Um, yeah, I think I went to market. I also struggled with because I think introducing the idea that Logan was physically abusive while interesting, um, they didn't do enough with, they, they kind of just touched on it slightly. And they also played on this concept in that episode that Logan might be losing his mind, that he might have dementia or, or some medical, real medical condition, but then that he clearly didn't because like, how he operates in later seasons, it's like clear that he doesn't really have that. So like that strange moment where he, they were doing the, I went to market thing and he like hit the kid with the can of peas or whatever. Uh, there was no real payoff in the plot for any of that. I, 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 do, I like the first half of season one. I was, you know, very interested in continuing on, but it really wasn't until about which side are you on that I was really like convinced that the show, but was firing on all cylinders in that direction that it was headed in. Some of the first few episodes, they feel like they're kind of, testing things in terms of what, what they ultimately end up using okay anything else it's it was a great show it was a great podcast it was a hell of a lot of fun do we know do you have an idea if you had to ponder we've had some other great shows have done prequels have done sequels have done spin-offs is this show capable of it and would you want to see it in terms of more in the universe they've created 100 percent capable of it um, if they did anything, I'd like to see a prequel. 
I'd like to see Logan's rise to power. That seems like that's the most well-structured, the most that has like a, a, that would be the one I'd be like most confident of where, okay, yeah, they can succeed at that. In terms of what goes after this, I don't know what, I'm not sure what plot lines would work following the end of season four. I mean, I've seen some people say they just want to see more of Tom and Greg, but that would get old real quick, I feel like, if they tried to build a show around that. I mean, it's like every Shakespearean play. I mean, the comedy works because it's brief. Yeah, it's interrupting the other moments. It's not its own. It's not, it's not the entire thing, unless you're doing a comedy, but they're not my favorite of the Shakespeare anyway. Yeah, if you were going to do anything after, it would have to be Shiv and Tom, I think. Um, but I don't think that... I don't think Kendall should be in it. I don't think Roman should be in it, but I would not suggest something after I would do Logan's rise to power, but the whole thing, the whole thing would be greenlit greenlit on who they, who they cast for Logan. Um, cause yeah. you don't get that right. It's dead in the water. Uh, and even if they did ship and Tom, I feel like it would have to be their kids. You'd have, you got to have separation in terms of where the show ended. You got to have some distance. Otherwise I, I feel like you're working too much in the ripples rather than treading your own water. Yeah. I don't know that they'll do it, but if they do it, I think it'll be a it'll be a prequel. Um, all right. Well, Spencer, enjoy doing Line of Succession with you. Great show, great podcast. We will be back with you uh, in a couple months, uh, end of February, with a review of Shogun. Just stay subscribed to this podcast feed, and we will post the first episode here. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you then.